Well, it's a big day on the podcast. It's episode number 100, and I know what you're thinking, and I agree with you. I didn't think I'd make it this far either, yet here we are. Um, To go along with that, I have a few special announcements I'm going to be making on this podcast that I really need you to hear. These announcements will be made right after the intro commercials on this episode, so please stick around for that. Okay, moving on to this episode. Joseph Smith is obviously the man when we talk about the Restoration. He wore a lot of different hats in his ministry. The one we're most familiar with is that of Prophet. So, if Joseph Smith really is a prophet, we should expect to see some of his prophecies fulfilled. Well, today I have on Brian Stutzman to talk about a book he has written that explores the fulfilled prophecies of the prophet Joseph Smith. We cover Brian's backstory just a little bit, then dive right into some of Joseph's prophecies that we have seen come to pass. Towards the end, we discuss what this all means as for believers in the restored gospel of Jesus Christ and Joseph Smith's legacy. That and more on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Look, it's no secret that our society has become much more crude and coarse. To become and raise men and women of virtue and character is a Herculean task. To help with this, I have recently wrote and published a book. Now, back in the 1700s, Washington had a book called Rules of Civility and Decent Behavior in Company and Conversation. It was a book with 110 rules that talked about how to conduct yourself like a civilized person in society, something that today's society is sorely lacking. What I did is I went back through the book and I reinterpreted his original sayings for the 21st century. So the book is laid out in a way in which you see Washington's original rule. Right below that is my explanation for the 21st century. And below that, you'll find two or three examples of where to use this in the real world. Now, to go along with this, there's a workbook that helps parents teach these principles and practices to their kids. To find the book, go to mormonrenegade.com, go to the bottom of the page, search out the blog post, and order your copy today. I can bear personal testimony from personal experience that this is an invaluable tool to help you raise men and women of virtue and character. So as I alluded to in the show open here, I have a few announcements to make. But first, I've been really prompted all week to address some folks out there in the audience. Um, I don't know who you are. It's just a feeling I've got from the Spirit this whole week. First, I felt prompted to to address you, the listener. If you're here on this podcast listening, it's not an accident. There's a reason for that. Most likely, you're either being prepared or called to something. Now, what that is, I don't know. I'm not your spiritual leader. But I can point you in the direction of someone who can tell you, and that's our Father and our God. He stands ready to hear those prayers and to reveal to you what you need in these last days. Now, I want to speak just for a second to folks who are feeling a little confused about where to go and what to do. I've had an increasing number of emails over the last few weeks from folks asking where they can go to attend church. Look, myself and others are here to help. No matter who you are, if you're a traditional believing Mormon, there is a place for you in the fullness of the gospel, both for you and your family. Heck, if we can't find a place, you can come worship with me and my family. That door is always open. Now, I know things in Mormonism feel a little confusing right now. I get it. I've been there. If you're feeling this way, please, 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 I'm begging you not to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to your testimony of the restored gospel. If you are leaving the LDS church but still have a testimony, or if you feel like your testimony is hanging by a thread, reach out. You can always reach out to me. I will always answer your emails. 
And if it's an emergency, put 911 in the description. I will reach out to you quick. I and others stand ready and willing to help you any way possible. Maybe you just need to talk through some questions. We can do that here. Myself and others in the Mormon fundamentalist community stand ready to help you no matter where you end up or no matter where you feel called. But please don't throw your testimony of the restored gospel away. Okay, announcement number one. Uh, one place I feel like we can do better in, in fundamentalism is helping the sisters, both in fundamentalism as well as sisters investigating Mormon fundamentalism. To help those sisters specifically, my wife Tanya and my wife Amber and women from a few different faith traditions within Mormon fundamentalism have set up a new Facebook group just for these sisters. Its name is Mormon Fundamentalism for Women. I know it's not real catchy and it's a simple name, but hey, we aren't exactly marketing experts. You know what I mean? Now, this is just for the sisters. Let me stress again, this is just for the sisters. That means no dudes. If any of the admins catch a dude trying to infiltrate this group, they will be mocked mercilessly on this podcast for quite a few weeks. So don't go there, fellas. It's not going to work out in your favor. This is a private group where if a woman with questions about fundamentalism can go and ask questions without having to worry about being exposed, they can have their privacy protected. The link to that Facebook group can be found in the episode's show notes or at mormonrenegade.com in the blog menu of the, of the website. Finally, I want to tell you about some changes that I've made to uh, the, the news program I do when you subscribe to the $12 package on Patreon. I've retooled that show so that you're going to get more analysis and less comedy. My hopes is, is that as we begin to enter more and more troubled times, you'll be able to be able to digest the news in a way that is really from the, the point of view of someone who believes in the fullness of, of the restored gospel. So if you so feel like subscribing to that news program, you can do that at Patreon uh, under the Mormon Renegade page, and that's 12 bucks a month. Now, for the next four weeks, I'm going to be putting up the news program for free on Rumble so that you can get a taste, because I don't want you just to buy something you don't feel like you're going to get your money's worth. So go to the Mormon Renegade uh, Rumble page, look it up, and for the next four weeks, that news program will, will be free, so you can try it out and know if it's for you or not. In conclusion, I just want to say how thankful I am to you, the listener, for coming here every week. And I hope that your time here is well spent, that, that, you, don't, that you feel like you're getting something out of this. That is so important to me. Um, if there's anything you ever want discussed on the on the podcast, feel free to drop me a line. We'll definitely take that under consideration. But know that I'm so thankful to you, the listener, uh, that's been here with me on this journey as we've explored Mormon fundamentalism. And we look forward to just keeping this going. So again, thank you for listening. <laughs>
How you doing? Great. It's great to be with you tonight, Dave. Dude, I'm so excited you're here. So real quick, we're, we're going to talk about your book, um, a timeline of Joseph Smith's prophecies. And uh, the subtitle, if you will, is his prophecies fulfilled. Um, and people can find that on Amazon. Is that right? That is correct. Anywhere else? Cheap. Nope, Amazon. And then I've got another version of the book called On This Day. And we'll talk about that. I think the, the first book's $14 and the second one's nine bucks. Right on. I'll tell right you on. about that. Perfect. So, but before we dive into that, um, mm -hmm. you're an active member of the LDS Church. Were you were 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 you born Mormon? Did were you born in the covenant, so to speak, and brought up Mormon? I was, I was born. My dad was an adult convert uh, uh, when he met my mom. Then they got married, had a family, and I was born in the church. Very cool. Um, so I always like to ask this question because whether you're born into the gospel in whatever strain, LDS or fundamentalist, there is a mm -hmm. moment at which you have to make that conversion. Mm -hmm. Right. right. And, and, and I think we're all conversions. What was yours? Yeah. Um, I would say, I think I was always born with a testimony, but it, it became brighter as I got older and had different spiritual experiences, whether I remember the first time I visited the sacred growth as a child. Right. Boy. I was knocked out of my shoes. Right. Um, the spirit just, just hit me. Um, I've always had a love uh, for Nauvoo. I remember going there as a younger person and catching the spirit of Nauvoo. Um, but uh, the, the, as I study the restoration, I, I just see God's hands all over it. And, uh, and it just has gotten stronger and stronger. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kind of a gradual process for you where, where you always believed it, but it was strengthened as you just continued to, to immerse yourself in it. It's funny. You bring up like the sacred grove and, and Nauvoo me, me and my family just got back from there. Oh, I want to say two or three weeks ago. And we went to Missouri, we went to Adam on Diamond and you're right there. There is a very special spirit to those places. And when, when your feet kind of touch down there, the, it, it's hard not to become immersed in it. It's hard not to feel that, that spiritual tug for sure. So absolutely. We were, we spent last week in Nauvoo, me and my wife, and then about a month and a half ago, I was in Palmyra and Kirtland in Nauvoo. Oh, that's back. awesome. So yeah, it's about my 15th time in both places. That's awesome. That's so, awesome. Yeah. No, anyway, uh, yeah, but you don't have to go to get it, but for me that that's really kind of the icing. So, yep. um, I do live in East Idaho. Um, by profession, I'm a, a businessman. Uh, we have some real estate, commercial properties, and things that we own and, and manage. And then, um, I had some free time. I I serve. I don't think it's any secret. I serve as a bishop at the YSA ward in Rexburg right now, but somehow I still had some extra time. And I do some local politics as well, but I had some extra time to really delve into uh, my first foray into really church history was a little town called Warsaw, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And Warsaw is 18 miles south of Nauvoo. And when I was, uh, when me and my wife got married and we started having children, I said to my wife, I said, I want to do two things with our kids before they leave the house. I want to take them on a personal father, son, I, we have four boys, one-on-one -on -one trip to the church history sites. 
And I also want to take him to the Holy Land. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to take my first two, my our oldest two, right before the oldest one on a mission, and then the younger two a couple of years later to the Holy Land. But each one of the other ones I took on a church history trip. And son number three, we were leaving Carthage. And you always want to end your church history trips at Carthage. I, I'm a big believer. I, I say, don't go anywhere after Carthage. Just go home. Because it's such an exclamation point to the restoration. Yeah. But we were coming down uh, the road through Hamilton over the over the bridge to Keokuk, Iowa. And there's this little green sign that said Warsaw. This is about 10 years ago. And I said, Warsaw, Warsaw. Gosh, I remember I was in Keith Perkins, who was a famous BYU religion teacher. I was in his class. And I think that we read something about Warsaw, something about this newspaper editor named Thomas Sharp or something. I don't know. I can't remember much. So we took a left-hand turn and went down there five miles. And wow, there's this fascinating little broken-down river town. And I thought, this had something to do with Nauvoo, but I couldn't remember. So we got out of the rental car and walked around. And I got out my phone and I texted History of Warsaw, Illinois. And there was none. And coming home, it just hit me that that was one of my missions in life was to write a history of this town. And I went back and spent weeks and weeks and weeks and went to archives and things. I wrote the history of Warsaw, Illinois, and come to find out Warsaw was actually the nemesis of Nauvoo. And it's where the mob came from that killed Joseph Smith. Okay. Right. And there's a history before and a history after. There was positive interactions with Nauvoo and there were some real negative interactions and the newspaper editor basically called for the, the martyrdom of Joseph Smith. He said trial for it. They said they did it afterwards. They helped kick the Mormons out on the Battle of Nauvoo in September of 1846, uh, kicked the third wave out. And there's just all this history in it. I spent, you know, six years, seven years writing this book and the people of Warsaw are really nice. They had nothing to do with what happened back then. And they invited me to come. I'd speak at their high school three different times, sell out crowd, tell them about their history. A Mormon from Idaho coming to Warsaw, Illinois, telling them that they used to fight with their neighbors and not do. It was a little ironic, but they supported, they loved, they found it really interesting. So I wrote this book. And so we're sitting along and um, somebody contacted me about a year and a half ago and said, Brian, there's this group that's actually been excommunicated or not not part of the church i don't know the 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 complete history but there's this group that's come out with this movie that tries that's trying to say that um somehow the mob just got lucky and happened to be at carthage jail right at the very moment that john taylor willard richards shot joseph and hiram which doesn't make any sense at all and there's so much evidence why it was not an inside job one of the real things is joseph smith didn't die in the bedroom upstairs. Nobody killed him upstairs. He was alive. He fell out of the window, yelled, the Lord, my God, is there no help? It was the beginning of the Masonic cry for help. He was very much alive. And just like Taylor, who had taken five balls upstairs and he lived, I believe Joseph Smith would have left if, lived if he would have had medical care when he hit the ground. But they lined him up against the well. Levi Williams and a militia a brigade a, a firing squad shot and killed Joseph Smith. And yep. they, some of those people stood trial. So this notion that it was upstairs, that somebody upstairs killed him, impossible because they didn't kill him. He was alive. When when so, so when I first <laughs> when I first came across uh that movie and, and that theory and I watched the movie, I remember when it was done, I turned it off and I just looked at looked at my wife and I said, you know, 
people say you have to have a lot of faith to believe that a a 14 year old farm boy got some gold plates but this account takes even more faith than that right oh. that makes that story look absolutely you know factual i i, I agree with you that's that's been some so, of the stuff to come out uh of, of so so because i had done so much on warsaw people contacted me and we made some podcasts and then i got um contacted by uh, kimberly watson smith who's been on your show and other people mm -hmm. shannon tracy and uh and taylor smith and we put together some podcasts that really could have debunked that movie and thankfully i was out there in um last week and we went to carthage i talked to six missionaries some had been there for over a year at carthage jail and i said has anybody come through here and said, what about John Taylor, Willard Richards, killing Joseph Smith? Has anybody ever mentioned that? Five of them said, I'd never heard anything. One of them said, I think I heard one person kind of in jest say that to somebody. One person between six people over a whole year in Carthage. So it's, it didn't really get any traction except from people who maybe didn't believe anyhow or, or you know, that, that particular movie. And so um, we, you know, we did some different work that way. And then what happened next and and again the book's called history of warsaw illinois it's on amazon and uh, it's got some some phenomenal pioneer stories that that are, are somewhat original for instance i'll tell you one then i'll move on to what we're talking about today there was a a, a, a school teacher in iowa named isaac gallon and he married he had three different wives over his life and they all died and his fourth wife that he married was um from warsaw and he went down there and uh it was a sister of the there was a military fort on the river this is 1820s mm -hmm. 18 you know and he married uh, this gal and uh well the long and short of it is the way it works out is that he becomes brother-in-law with thomas sharp but mm -hmm. isaac gallon joins the church and becomes a missionary for the church and I believe Hiram Smith baptizes him. And he becomes brother-in-law through some deaths and remarriages to Thomas Sharp, who was a newspaper editor that would eventually stand trial for the murder of Joseph Smith. Wow. Brother-in-law. So imagine Thanksgiving dinner, Mormon missionary Isaac Gallon and brother-in-law, anti-Mormon editor, stood trial for the murder of Joseph Smith, Thomas Sharp. At the same table, their kids were cousins, played prince. So oh. You won't find that in any history book. I put that together through a lot of research. No, um, that's awesome. So, yeah, that that's the way things were back then. And and I, the the book kind of tells about how Warsaw was uh, prospered, and then within a generation, economically uh, in ruins and shambles. Joseph Smith made a prophecy about Warsaw. In fact. And he said that the Warsaw uh, would be broken down and it would not be built up until some certain things happened. And then uh, you can interpret that any way you want, but I've got it in the book and you can go to Warsaw today. They went from 5,000 people to about 1,500 people. Wow. And so when you take a, a town that has stores and infrastructure and a main street based on 5,000 people, and then you collapse it to 1,500, you got some urban decay buildings falling down even today. So, yeah, um, but it's a great town and it's got, it's so much more than just the six or seven years of the Mormon period uh, before and especially after. Um, Joe, they claim that Brigham Young's favorite plural wife, uh, uh, Amelia Folsom was from Warsaw. 
Okay. And he built a castle, Amelia's uh, castle. Uh, uh, what was it called? It was right across from Temple Square Palace, Amelia's Palace, in the 1870s and 80s. I think it was torn down about turn of the century. Um, hmm. But but she was uh, Brigham's favorite wife. He ought to look her up. She was quite gifted, musical, very intellectual. When dignitaries came, why Amelia would sit at the head table, and she was from, they claim, from Morse, Illinois. So anyway, so I've done, done this work, and then one day uh, a while back, um, I, I was checking some different podcasts, and one pretty well-known anti-Mormon guy did a podcast about the failed prophecies of Joseph Smith. I said, whoa, what's he talking about here? And he has tens of thousands of viewers. I said, well, Joseph Smith had hundreds of fulfilled prophecies. And what happened was um, uh, in 2003, my sister-in-law was married to a gentleman named Pat. And Pat was a researcher and a writer and a really good one. Unfortunately, the marriage didn't last as long as we would have liked it to. And, but we see Pat at different events at a, at a family wedding a couple of times. I said, when this came out, I said, Pat, in 2003, you wrote a book called The Prophecies of Joseph Smith. You tried to publish it privately, publicly. It didn't really take any legs. I, I got a copy. You didn't sell very many. I said, you have the rights to that, right? And he said, yeah. I said, we need to resurrect it. And he says, I'm, I'm a believer, but I'm busy in these other directions, and I don't have time. I said, well, if you let me take it, publish it, edit it, republish it, um, and put it out there and share these prophecies on podcasts and things. Is that acceptable? And he says, yeah. And I said, I'll do one more thing. We'll price it low. And if any profits, I'll, I'll send it to you, Pat. I, I, I did my Warsaw book. I'm thousands of dollars in the hole. I don't do it for money. Thankfully, our rental properties are doing good. So Pat gets any profits. But as I got into this book, you know, they're, they're just public. He, he did a lot of good research. You can go to journals and different things like that and um, find these. So uh, find these prophecies. And it's just phenomenal. And then there's really, honestly, a really explanation. There really hasn't been a prophecy that can't be explained. And so um, can I just start by my, one of my favorite scriptures? It's 1 Absolutely. Corinthians 14.22. 1 Corinthians 14.22 says, Prophesying serveth not for them that believe not for them which believe. And so here's kind of what your audience needs to know about, at least what I think prophecies are. Um, first of all, when we talk about today, we're going to talk about is the prophecies of Joseph Smith. And we classify, say, the Book of Mormon. Those aren't the prophecies of Joseph Smith. They contain the prophecies of Alma and Nephi and those guys, right? The authors of the Book of Mormon. The Doctrine and Covenants I don't really classify them as prophecies of Joseph Smith. There are about 1,100 forward-looking statements in the Doctrine and Covenants, but we'll classify that as the word of the Lord. Okay. okay. So what we're talking about here are sayings, prophecies from journals, from the history of the church, and different um, sources uh, that are not necessarily, that are not in the scriptures. And some of them are in like the times and seasons reasons as long as they didn't like hit the pearl great price so these are joseph smith's prophecies they're not the lord's prophecies they're not lord's voice i should say 
through the Doctrine and Covenants or Almas or, or Nephi's. So that's what's in this book. Um, but I also need to, to, to clarify this. The role of prophecies in a testimony, they should be testi testimony affirming. But the real testimony is based on faith and study and a confirmation of the Holy Ghost. And it's, first of all, based on Jesus Christ and his role as our Savior, right, and Redeemer. Mm -hmm. And second of all, on the restoration, the Book of Mormon, the prophetic calling of Joseph Smith, the coming forth of the Book of Mormon and the teachings of living prophets today. Okay. These other things are kind of just like bricks in a foundation. Somebody should not base their whole testimony on whether some prophecies came true or whatever. They can be faith affirming and just one more, you know, uh, brick in the foundation does that make sense no that that like, makes you sense. have to have your... yeah that makes that makes perfect sense i i guess my thought on that is that joseph smith is a pretty pivotal uh, a pretty big pivotal part in that right so that if oh if 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 you you can't say the book of mormon is is a true document without saying joseph smith's a prophet and so right. it, but you can have Joseph Smith a prophet with or without prophecies because of the Book of Mormon. So this is just an additional witness to the prophetic calling of Joseph Smith outside of the Book of Mormon and outside of some of the things he did. The setting up of the church was prophetic. Right. When he's sitting there outside of Kirtland in, uh, what is it, Morley's house, and he, he takes a couple elders and he says, you guys, you know, the famous saying, you guys are nothing more than babes, you know, infants in a mother's arms. You don't know this church is going to go through North and South America and fill the world. Right. How prophetic was that? Right. <laughs> and you, you people say, well, is it really filled the earth? Well, you take a room and you squirt three squirts of, uh, of, of perfume. You fill the room with, uh, with fragrance. Right, and that's how you fill the world with the gospel. It doesn't mean every single person would do it. How how prophetic that is. So, um, let's maybe talk first the criticisms. Sometimes people read a prophecy or get something out or and say, "Well, this hasn't come to pass yet." Well, just because sometimes prophecies have not been fulfilled how we think they should be, doesn't number one mean that they haven't been, or number two doesn't mean that they won't be. And sometimes prophecies are very contingent on certain things happening. For instance, Joseph Smith said New York would be, I think, destroyed if they didn't accept the gospel. And they sent missionaries and hundreds of people joined. But if we look at the Bible and we look at Isaiah, you know this, the, the scripture everybody does. Unto you a, a, a child shall be, what a virgin will conceive and his name will be called Emmanuel. Right. Right. We read that every Christmas. Did you know that that was given 700 years before yep. Jesus Christ came? So for 699 years, people, critics were saying Isaiah was a false prophet. Right. Right. There's no virgin conceived. Well, whatever. Or who believes this Bible thing or this Old Testament, you know, or whatever, you know, whatever book, uh, uh, you know, there, there was a formal term for the Jewish Bible. Um, Jesus Christ himself tested, prophesied that in three days uh, the temple will be rebuilt. And you sit there and say, well, the temple wasn't rebuilt in Jerusalem. Well, he wasn't talking about a physical temple. He was talking about his resurrection. 
And so you, you sometimes you have to look at prophecies and say, well, what were they talking about? Um, Isaiah, other Old Testament prophets said, you know, Israel will be gathered. You know, the gathering of Israel is going to happen or, or it will happen or is happening. Well, what we have today, and like I said, I've been over there multiple times, actually uh, more than just with my kids. Um, what we have today is just a political gathering that, you know, happened in, what, 18, 1947, 8, 9, something like that. Right, um, yep. But for about 2,000 years, uh, Israel didn't gather and all the prophets were false. Well, when we talk about the gathering of Jackson County, okay, in 1831, right. when Joseph came and, and laid that out and said, this, you know, this will be built in, in this generation. Well, the word generation can mean a thousand years or more. Uh, it doesn't mean in 75 years or 80 years that people lived. Um, right. Uh, I, so I, also, you know, Jonah, I, one more thing, and then we'll jump yeah. in. Jonah and Nineveh, Jonah went to Nineveh and said the city would be destroyed, but it wasn't. Why? Because right. they repented. But it, the Bible doesn't have it if category if, if statement there so go on i i was gonna just say, give you some context about yeah, prophecies yeah. yeah what 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 i was gonna say is that too often we 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 make the assumptions of what the lord is saying right and so we think well if, if there's a prophecy it's got to come to pass while i'm alive or else it's false right or if it hasn't been fulfilled right now and just like mm -hmm. you said, with 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 Jesus, where he says, you know, in three days, this temple will be torn down and rebuilt again. Right. He's not talking about the temple. And so a lot of times we have to look and we have to do our due diligence. And maybe a lot of times it's not till after the fact that we can look back and go, oh, my gosh, mm -hmm. it's fulfilled. And so for people who who put heavy emphasis on on prophecies of of any prophet i would say you might want to slow your roll just a little bit because you're making a lot of assumptions on a prophecy that's not that you didn't receive personally and so you don't know the context um but thankfully evident thankfully there's about 400 that have come to pass and i'm going to go over maybe 10 or 15 and if he's not a good, if, if he's not a prophet, he's an awfully good guesser at that point. Over and over and over. I mean, you know, for instance, he told people that they weren't you know, going to taste of death or they wouldn't have a painful death. Well, um, I think some people, he said that you won't, you won't die until Christ returns. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? Some of those were given in 1831, 1832, 1833. What happened in 1836 in the Kirtland Temple? Christ had come. Christ came. Yeah. And then they died after. Yep. But that's not context that maybe anti-Mormons would take. Well, second coming hasn't come. Well, who says it's the second coming? Right. Christ, Christ came before this guy died. Um, Orson Whitney explained it this way. We are not going to die. We are deathless beings. We live before we came into this world and we shall live after we go out of it. What we call death is not worthy the name. There is no death for the righteous. Christ died to destroy death. The change called death is but a separation, a temporary separation of the spirit from the body. None of our dear departed ones are dead. They have gone, they have but gone before. This so-called death, when properly understood, is simply going back home. And so we need to keep that definition in mind if we talk about Joseph Smith's prophecies. Now, 
Dave, a, a few big ones that everybody that should know about is things like the word of wisdom. Right. How prophetic was that? And people try to, well, there was some health societies already talked about that. Well, no, no organization came out as strong against as large and, and went through, you know, it took a hundred and some 150 years for the medical community to really come out and say, yeah, you know, the word of was smoking and drinking and tobacco are bad. Right. And, and there was a lot of debates. And yeah, individually, there was temperate societies and things, but it was really a battle. And no, Joseph Smith came out and said, you know, unequivocally, um, this is bad. And he, he was a leader in his time. And you can you can say, yes, this this was a prophecy that this is good. You read the, you know, uh, that uh, revelation um, again. That, that was a revelation from the Lord. And same with the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a phenomenal phenomenal even named south carolina yep well there was some talk about it well no he came out strong and said this right and it said that war would be poured out among all nations and there's two explanations for that Um, one is that in the civil war there was members of countries from every country in the world living in the united states that was involved in the civil war okay the other one is explanation is from the civil war date on there's always been a war somewhere in the world Right. Well, and two world wars, right? Right. That wars involved you poured out. Country, right. Um, yeah, no, the, he he does hit the nail on the head. And the South Carolina one, the arguments that I've heard where they say, well, it's not a big surprise. South Carolina was was the one. Well, slow your roll, because you can find <laughs> you can find old um, newspaper clippings of the time that people swore it'd be Virginia that let out in it, right? That was what made sense. That's where, you know, even before it was official, everyone understood that the Confederacy's capital was in Richmond. Um, Mm -hmm. That's where they were meeting. And so there were just as many people, if not more, saying it's most likely to break out from Virginia. So the arguments against Joseph Smith on that particular prophecy are super weak. Super weak. And it was, what, 25, 30 years before the yes. Civil War broke out. Yeah. And a lot of dynamics and politics and shifting happened be- between then, uh, the prophecy given. Uh, and then the last one, of course, is, is martyrdom. He gave so many prophecies. Sure. You know, I'm going to Carthage. I'm not coming back. I'm not a prophet of God if we don't, you know, if, if, we, if we return, things like that. And so, but today, let's talk about some of his maybe lesser known ones. Um and and this book that I have that I helped Pat put put out on the market, it's kind of divided by eras of church history, and we have like a, a little ch- a chapter, uh, a couple pages maybe in the first of each chapter, dealing with um, what's happening in the church, and then we go into his prophecies. One of the first ones I'd like to talk about is is actually before the church was established, summer of eighteen twenty nine. Um, there was a lot of animosity, probably more than most people realize, against Joseph uh, in Palmyra. And, you know, you look at some of the affidavits, uh, Francis, Kirkham, Francis Kirkham wrote this phenomenal book called A Do Witness for Christ in America. And he went back and, and people just, uh, he went back and got affidavits and all newspaper articles. And people were just making outrageous claims against uh, Joseph and how dumb he was and how stupid the Smiths were. Now it's what a genius he is. Look at the Book of Mormon. He just made that up. But back then it's like, oh, he, he couldn't even put together a sentence. Well, some of the opposition uh, 
knew that this book was going to be published and um, he was making arrangements with E.B. Grant and most, a lot of member, probably your listeners have been back to Palmyra and the church, yep. re- the LDS church has restored that printing press. You can go and see how the Book of Mormon was kind of put together. But, but when he went out to E.B. Grant and um, there was a, a Dr. McIntyre and he and um, 40 men were, collect, were collected uh, in the capacity of a mob and they requested that Dr. McIntyre take command of the company. And he refused to do so. So a uh, Mr. Huzzy, H-U-Z-Z-Y, uh, who made hats in Pal- Palmyra, decided to offer his service. And their aim was to kill Joseph Smith before he could get the Book of Mormon published. Right. Most people don't know this. There was a mob assembled to kill Joseph Smith before the Book of Mormon was published. That's correct. Uh, on hearing this, Joseph's mother told him not to go to see Grant. And, and he, Joseph just smiled. And said, never mind, mother, just put your trust in God and nothing will hurt me today. In a short time, Joseph set off for Palmyra along his route. He found the mob seated on a fence running along the road. Coming to Mr. Huzzy first, Joseph took off his hat and good naturedly said, good morning, Mr. Huzzy. Joseph passed on to the next man who he saluted in like manner and the next and so on. And this is from the history of Joseph Smith by his mother, quote, this struck them with, with confusion, and while they were pondering in amazement, Joseph passed on, leaving them perched upon the fence like so many roosting chickens, and he arrived at Palmyra without being molested, unquote. Um, how would you like to know that a mob's out to kill you? And you just tell your mom, say, you know, trust God, I know that we'll all be okay. Is that, did he say, thus saith the Lord? I'm not sure he might have. Uh, we don't know. I mean, Lucy Mac Smith wrote this uh, in what the 1850s, 1860s from memory. Yeah. But that happened. Okay. Yep. Absolutely phenomenal. So and it, the next one is Kirtland. And this is really, really, really cool. Uh, we all know about the Kirtland Safety Society. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Um, there's no, no, you know, the, 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 it failed. It was an anti-banking society because the state didn't allow the bank to have a charter. And so the country, the whole country was on a bridge yes. of the great financial crisis. And Joseph warned him. He pulled out. He says, this, this bank is not built on righteous principles. There's a lot of greed and, and, and fault finding and things. And so what happened is when through March and April of 1837, about 50% of the financial institutions in the United States, half of them went under, including the Kirtland Safety Society. And uh, there was fault fighting and apostasy. Yep. And Joseph Smith had prophesied these problems and had resigned his position at the bank in 1837. Yet many people blamed the bank's failure on Joseph. So much so that he and Emma and others left in the night to go to Missouri because they thought people were going to kill him. Yeah. But before he, he left, <laughs> the bank bills had become worthless. Okay. Joseph, before he left, prophesied, check this out. Joseph prophesied that the Kirtland notes would one day be as good as gold. Well, yeah. now, you know, well, now have 10 years later, 10 years later, check out what happened. 
They took some of the Kirtland banknotes with them through Nauvoo and out to Utah. They were worthless. The Mormon battalion came up from California and had gold dust. The gold dust brought, they brought it to Salt Lake and they found it, it was inconvenient and difficult to coin. So they got out the Kirtland notes, signed them again and placed them, placed them on par with gold, with gold. Thus fulfilling the prophecy of Joseph that the Kirtland notes would one day be as good as gold in 10 years. Yep. How prophetic is that when the papers were absolutely worthless and there was a lot of different banks that had paper worth, worthless. Yes, today, any bank note is worth their weight in gold. But to, to say that that way then, when all these banks were failing and people, I mean, it's almost like the, the, the German mark during the hyperinflation right before Hitler right. took, you know, the old story that you, somebody took a wheelbarrow full of German marks to the grocery store to buy one, one loaf of bread and it came out and the wheelbarrow was Mark. stolen. Yep. And the, and the paper was just there on the ground. That's the way it was with, uh, yeah. with the Kirtland Bank Society notes. And he prophesied that it would be one day be as good as gold. And in 10 years, they were as good as worth as worth. They were on par with gold. How prophetic. Yep. Well, yeah, not just that, but, 10 years for a prophecy to come to pass that's that's darn near uh instantaneous in the world of prophecy right um yeah. and and in the context too well and, yeah. and here's the other thing right that's not the only prophecy that happened there he he also oh, no. said he also said look that this thing's not built on correct principles he resigns he foretells what's going to come and i'm sure it wasn't just you know, I, obviously, it wasn't just a problem with the Kirtland Safety Society. This was a banking problem of epic proportions throughout the whole country. And so when, yeah. when this collapses, for some reason, they want to blame Joseph. And I've never been able to figure that out, but whatever. But the fact he's warning people in advance, hey, this this doesn't hold up. This is going to collapse. I mean, he 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 even gave them a, a prophecy of you might want to get your money out. Okay. Let's move on to the next era. That yeah, this is one of my favorites because it happened in um, well, it happened in uh, in actually in the uh, Liberty Jail, mm -hmm. um, and my wife's uh, fourth great grandfather was with Joseph and Hiram. His name was Alexander McCray. And uh, phenomenal experiences. He he was described for Doctor Covenants 121, 122, and 123 given in Liberty Jail. But anyway, so Joseph and Hiram are there in Liberty Jail. Uh, you know, the winter of 1838 through the spring of 1839. And we all know about Alexander Donovan, who was an attorney that uh, actually disobeyed a unlawful order to execute Joseph. And yep. he became friends with uh, Joseph. And uh, he came to Liberty Jail and he was upstairs and kind of talking to another guard about some, um, uh, he, he was mentioning that he was offered um, some land in Jackson County as payment for another client. And uh, Joseph overheard the conversation. He said to Donovan, quote, I advise you not to take Jackson County land in payment of the debt. God hath 
and this is again, Donovan was dealing with another client and just mentioned that this guy wanted to pay him. So Joseph said, um, God's wrath hangs over Jackson County. God's people have been ruthlessly driven from it. And you, you will live to see the day when it will be visited by fire and sword. The Lord of hosts will sweep it with the bosom of destruction. The fields and farms and houses will be destroyed and only the chimneys will be left to mark the desolation. Well, the civil war is a fulfillment of this prophecy in addition to, in, in, because in addition to the tremendous destruction brought by both the Northern troops and Quantrail Raiders, which is a rebel group from the mm -hmm. South. During the war, Union soldiers swept down on Jackson, Cass, and Bates counties, killing animals, burning homes and fields, and molesting the inhabitants. The whole area was plundered, left desolate by fire and sword, and some areas depopulated. The sufferings of the Missouri people have been thought by many writers to exceed the sufferings of the Mormons. Now, in 1864, um, a soldier who fought the Civil War described the condition in Missouri this way, quote, we found houses, barns, outbuildings, nearly all buildings burned down and nothing left standing but the chimneys, unquote. I, so now, that, one, that one I've heard, that one I, I've heard a, a few different times. And what I also find interesting with that, Brian, is that Brigham Young makes his yellow dog prophecy sort of a thing in conjunction with that and then after the civil war brigham never brings it up again ever i think brigham even understood this is prophecy fulfilled this is what joseph was talking about and i i've not been able to back this up this episode of the podcast is brought to you by DeseretFlag.com. I've said this before and I really mean it. Mormonism isn't just a religion, it's a culture. As such, it has its own vernacular and practices, but also its own symbols. And those symbols become even more important and prominent when you look back into our history. Perhaps one of the most recognizable symbols of Mormonism is the Deseret Flag. This is the flag that I use as cover art in this podcast. This was also used for a good chunk of time during the pioneer era in Utah. Now, today we have people who want to replace the existing Utah flag with some other progressive monstrosity. Well, I think it's damn past time that we start pushing back here a little bit in Utah. Our friends at Defending Utah are here to help you with that. Now, if you go to DeseretFlag.com, you can now purchase your own Deseret State flag. It's time here that we start making ourselves known and join the resistance against those who seek to rewrite our state's history. Go to DeseretFlag.com or check out the link in this episode's page show notes and get yours today. Can't get enough of the Mormon Renegade podcast? Well, good news. We're on Patreon and there's three packages that you can choose from. The first one, the Slightly Rowdy Package, allows you to hear the podcast without all those pesky commercials getting in the way. For those who want a slightly more in-depth experience, there's the Stirring It Up Package, where you can hear ad-free audio, ad-free video, and transcripts. Finally, for those who want to go full Renegade, that package is available too, where you can get everything in the previous two packages, plus an extra show where myself and Ben Winfield break down the news of the day from a very Mormon point of view. You will also get exclusive access to Renegade Chat, and on there you'll be able to talk to others about the show or whatever topics are on your mind. Go to Patreon today and get your exclusive content. Only by one account, and I usually don't like talking about things unless I can find it in two or three places, but there's actually a statement from Donovan 
that someone was telling me about where he actually says, you know, he looks around, he says, gentlemen, today you've seen it, right? You, you've seen this fulfilled. And, and I, I know as Mormons, we're, you know, a lot of times we're, we're hesitant about Missouri because we're like, oh, well there, there's judgment coming. And sometimes we don't even recognize when prophecy is fulfilled. Uh-huh. Um, I do have an, and, uh, a postcard here painting, painted by Tom Lee, a non-Mormon in 1865 that shows a family in Jackson County. Returns of a Confederate family to their burned uh, and barren farm in Jackson County after Civil War. Only the chimney of the house is left standing. He had no idea he was painting the fulfillment of Joseph's fr- prophecy. I wish I could share screen with you I there. Can, but, I can do uh, that. I can grant you access to share screen. Yeah. Give me just one second. Let's see. Okay, you should be ready to go. Can you see that there? Yeah, I can. Yeah. Painting here at the bottom. Oops. Yep. Oops, I skimmed. This is painted by a non non Elias guy in 1865 fulfilling that prophecy. And while we got it, this is uh fascinating what the book book looks like. So very we'll cool. Continue. Let's go to um the Nauvoo era era. This is a lot of people know about Warren Porter Rockwell or Porter Rockwell or OP rockwell there's a couple names for him and he plays uh <laughs> I, I really fell in love with him when i was writing my history of warsaw because op rockwell's first confirmed kill was frank Worrell, who was at the at one of the carthage grays uh, at the at the uh, at the day of the martyrdom and he actually sent a note to the warsaw mob that had collected, they had assembled over by a little town called Golden's Point. And they were going to go out. They had heard that Thomas Ford was in uh, Nauvoo, which he was, the day of the martyrdom. But they had heard that Thomas Ford had been kidnapped by the Mormons and was in distress and needed to be um, rescued. And so this, this mob from Warsaw, uh, two regiments from Warsaw and one from nearby Green Plains, went up to Golden's Point and the governor heard got word of this and sent a messenger told them to go home and while they were there a messenger got a note sent excuse me came with a note from frank warrell and um frank warrell had written now's the time to do the deed and that it in the hands of thomas sharp and so here's this warsaw mob it's about noon it's the day of the martyrdom they're at golden's point some say, well, we're going to obey the governor. We're going to go back to Warsaw. And some of them listen to Thomas Sharp and say, now's the time to do the deed. Frank Worrell told us this. Let's go on and kill Joseph Smith, which they did. A year later, Frank Worrell's chasing the sheriff out of Warsaw, and Porter Rockwell raises his gun and shoots Frank Worrell, the guard who's told the mob to come kill Joseph Smith. Most people don't know that story. So... That's in my book, by the way. Let's talk about Porter Rockwell, okay? He was arrested at March. You know the story, most people do, that he was yep. accused of trying to kill uh, Governor Boggs, Liberal right. Boggs. And of course, the assassin missed, and Porter said, you, well, that's how you know it wasn't me, because if it was me, I would have got him. Right. <laughs> right. But uh, <laughs> Porter Rockwell was arrested in Mar- March 4th, 1843 in St. Louis, and he was put in what they call iron hobbles or, or chains and taken to independence. Um, now, this is after, you know, four years after the extermination order. 
and Porter Rockwell is now in independence and kind of in, a, in a enemy territory, right? Right. Uh, about 11 days later, actually on March 15th, Joseph spoke of Rockwell's fate. He said, quote, I prophesy in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that Orrin Porter Rockwell will get away honorably from the Missourians. <sighs> really? He's in enemy territory. He's getting charged with uh, shooting, shooting at the governor. They hate the Mormons. Right. So guess what happened? Rockwell was tried December 13th, that same year, 1843, and the charge of shooting former Governor Boggs could not be sustained, and he was released. Yep. Yep. I think that's absolutely phenomenal because the odds were against that. But he prophesied. Yeah, the odds are so against that, right? Because, you know, this is a short time after they've booted the Mormons out. The foment is still heavy. The hatred is still there. And somehow... Oh. justice prevails people don't need, need now people need to understand in fact when thomas sharp was trying to gather people and, and hatred against the mormons in in 1844 and and journey writes in his newspaper he calls for his friends in missouri and other states to come join him to help get rid of this mormon prophet and uh he relied heavily on the hatred in uh in missouri uh in fact joseph made a prophecy one time in the 1840s in Nauvoo, he says, you will ne- I prophesy I will never go to Missouri again. Or I'm not a prophet, some, some along that line. And he was arrested by Missourian lawnmen and, 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 and going to be taken to Missouri, but that never happened. Right. Um, that's a whole different prophecy. Again, there's hundreds of fulfilled prophecies. One I'd like to talk about was dealing with, um, you know, uh, uh, Douglas. Um, you know, we had the Lincoln Douglas, Stephen Douglas, uh, right. the Lincoln Douglas debates, and boy, Lincoln is just so big. If you if you go over to, to to Carthage now and go across the street from the jail to the Hancock County Kibbe Museum, half that is dedicated toward uh, President Lincoln. And I'm like, well, did you you know know that Lincoln got there because Joseph made a prophecy? See what happened in May 18, 1843. Joseph was having dinner in Carthage with a couple people from the church. Um, Orson Hyde was one of them with the sheriff, Sheriff Backentos, and with Stephen Douglas. And they were kind of friends. And Joseph's, and people have heard this, said that you will yet expire. He said this to Stephen Douglas. You will yet aspire to the presidency of the United States. But if you ever raise your hand or your voice against the Latter-day Saints, you shall never be president of the United States. Have you heard that prophecy before? I have not. Well, in 1857, Stephen Douglas called the Mormons, quote, a disgusting cancer and called for the repeal of the ter- territorial status of Utah. Douglas' popularity has increased. He was a shoo-in for the presidency. Dominant party. The last election, there was three main political parties in the United States. His party got more votes than the other two parties combined. But in 1860, it was an absolute shocker when a little-known guy named Abraham Lincoln got 180 electoral votes and Douglas got 12. Right. Lincoln had said, leave the Mormons alone. Douglas got 12. He was, it was supposed to be an absolute landslide. And he only won two states. 
Wow. No, I've not heard that prophecy. I knew that I knew that Douglas lost big time to Lincoln and it was a shock, but I hadn't heard that prophecy by Joseph Smith. Well, in November 27th, right after the election results in 1860, Orson Hyde, responding to this disastrous election result for Douglas, wrote, and I, I give credit to this slide from my to my friend Craig Dunn, who's a professor down in, in Utah. Uh, he sent me this. He says, Will Orson Hyde wrote him a letter. Will the judge, meaning Stephen Douglas, now acknowledge that Joseph Smith was a true prophet? If he will not, does he not recollect recollect a certain conversation that Mr. Joseph Smith at the house of Sheriff Backentos in Carthage, Illinois, in the year 1843, in which Mr. Smith said unto him, quote, you will yet aspire to the presidency of the United States, but if you will, if you ever raise your hand or your voice against the Latter-day Saints, you shall never be president of the United States. That was just a powerful, powerful prophecy. Yeah. And guess what happened? Stephen Douglas died a year later in 1861 at age 80, at age 48, a disappointed man. Wow. He only got he only won two states, and he was a shoo-in, an absolute landslide. And he raised his hands against the, and his voice against the states. He also called the the, the Mormons a loathsome ulcer on the body politic. And he recommended a knife be applied to cut it out. So I'm guessing him and Brigham Young didn't exchange Christmas cards. <laughs> Christmas <laughs> cards. Well, he died uh, <laughs> within a year. Right. Um, right. Have you heard of the Battle of Buena Vista and that prophecy? No. Oh, this is just, this is a great prophecy. So Joseph and Hiram and, and several members of the church go to Carthage. And I really kind of get into this part in my book, and there's a lot of books that deal with it. The, the, the all-time classic, of course, is The Carthage Conspiracy by Marv Hill and Dallin Oaks, mm -hmm. where they've got, gotten back. And it's really a great story. But um, Joseph kind of has bounced around in the night of June 25th, 1844. Actually, I believe this happened about noon. They're, they're gathering around, and Joseph is actually staying at um, the Hamilton House which is about two blocks east of the Carthage Jail. It's about actually four blocks east. We just were there at the site. It it's no longer stands. We were there last week. And there's a little marker there where the Hamilton house was. And Joseph's gathered around and, and there's some anti-Mormons. There's, there's some uh, uh, members of the military regiments and things. They're eating and talking. And he basically says, gentlemen, do I look like you know, the man that you've, that you've been led to believe. And they said, no. And he says, you can't see my heart. He says, but I can see what's in your heart. And this is Joseph Smith talking to these, these people who would eventually be part of either the mob or, or people outside, you know, waiting and uh, watching and what's happening. Joseph says, I, I will tell you what I see. I can see in your heart and I will tell you what I see. You thirst for blood and nothing but my blood will satisfy you. And he says, I prophesy in the name of the Lord that you shall witness scenes of blood to your entire satisfaction. And many of you who are now present shall face the cannon's mouth from sources you think not of. Unquote. Mm -hmm. Well, during the Mexican War, a few years later, some of these men were called to battle. Um, and it was the Battle of Buena Vista. And they got caught in friendly fire. And a bunch of them were killed. I think this is uh, 
within a decade, within 10 years, these soldiers. And it was uh, against Santa Ana, the, the Mexican war, you can read up on it, but the Battle of Buena Vista fulfilled this prophecy where some of these men were caught in, in, in crossfire and they were killed by friendly fire. And they faced cannon's mouth from sources you think not of. I prophesy in the name of the Lord. That came true at the Battle of Buena Vista. You can't just get these things just time after time after time after time right without having the spirit of prophecy and being a prophet of God. I mean, we all know June 27th, 1844, right? At 516, the mob stormed Carthage. We know that time from, from Taylor's watch. But Joseph told what? Willard Richards, everybody knows this. The time will come that balls will fly around you, Willard Richards. And he's, and it's, this is kind of the second quote, and he should see a second person and he shall see his friends fall on the left and the right and the left, but there should not be a hole in his garment. Right. You've heard that one, right? It came to pass. Yeah, absolutely. It came to pass. A bullet grazed his ear. Nothing struck his garment. And he was the biggest man in the room by about double. Yep, he was. He was. He was. He was a man after my own heart of robust girth. So, <laughs> but Joseph prophesied that balls would fly around him and his friends would fall on the le- right and the left, but there should not be a hole in his garment. How do you get that one right? Yeah, yeah, especially in the scene that was Carthage Jail, right? Because bullets are coming from every direction, right? Both from the door and from the window, and somehow he manages to escape with a scratch right um, on his ear not not through his clothes at all yep so can i share with you his last joseph smith's last prophecy please do given to somebody else now the next morning he he kind of prophesied the rise of the church but this is a personal prophecy and it was a night before the martyrdom and i hope i can get through it because i get quite a, emotional because it's so powerful many people in the church have heard of dan jones captain dan jones in fact um, he was a very powerful uh, Nauvoo convert and became friends with Joseph. And he was there the night of, uh, before the martyrdom. And he had gotten a mission call to return to his native Wales. And they were laying on the floor and they heard gunshots at the square of Carthage and some different things. And they were, uh, well, they, they kind of knew the end was, was coming. And Dan Jones asked the prophet Joseph Smith if he was ready to die. And Joseph talked for a little bit and then asked Dan Jones the same, and he wasn't quite sure. And then Joseph said, uh, you shall yet see Wales and fulfill the mission appointed to you. Mm. And that was kind of cool because here's what happened. The next day, uh, Dan left to, uh, and went and got some uh, friend, an errand or two for Joseph and came back and got some papers. And Joseph said to Dan, he says, I want you to go to Quincy and get my attorney and here's some papers I want to, for you to give to him. And so Dan uh, is outside Carthage and the mob there sees Dan with some papers and they think that Dan is going to Nauvoo to rally the troops. The, the Nauvoo Legion had been disbanded, but maybe they were going to get him back together and come rescue Joseph. And so the mob shoots at Dan right outside the Carthage jail and they miss him but it confuses his horse so much that they went down the wrong road to Quincy and it saved Dan's life because a mile or two out of town a little ways out of town 
a mob had com combined uh, with orders to kill anyone, any Mormon that came that, down that road. So Dan didn't get shot at Carthage, even though they aimed at him. And he didn't get killed on the road to Quincy because he went down the wrong road. He avoided death two times. And then he uh, made it to the river and got on a boat that went by Warsaw. And that afternoon, that night, he was on this, on this boat going down to Quincy, not knowing what had happened in Carthage. And a mob uh, members inspected the boat with orders to kill any Mormons. They could not see him on the boat, even though he was there. And his life was spared a third time that very day. And he did go on, not only to one mission to Wales, but two missions to Wales. He published thousands of pages of tracts. He converted, he was a missionary that helped convert the spirit converts, but he taught over 5,000 people that joined the church, came to Utah. He was one of the most prolific missionaries of the restoration. If you open up the missionary manual called Preach My Gospel on lesson one, page one is a painting of Dan Jones preaching in Wales. If you go to the Provo MTC, his painting of Dan Jones, his painting is on the wall when you walk in. Wow. He became the mayor of Manti, Utah. In fact, some of his saints, they were coming back from Wales. And by the way, he could preach for eight or 10 hours and keep people's rapt attention. It's, he was a little guy. He'd stand on a, on a box and, and preach. And um, his, he were coming back um, to, to Utah, and they were having a general conference, and they needed a choir. And his Welsh saints were musical, and they put together a choir of Dan Jones's converts, and they sang at the general conference of the church in Salt Lake City. And that choir became the foundation for the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, now called the Choir Temple Square. That was the last prophecy of Joseph Smith to a person, Dan Jones, that he will live through Carthage and he will yet see Wales. Wow. And then go on to influence Mormondom as we know it. Oh, geez, in, in so many ways. Now, yeah. if you can share your screen one more time, I want to share with you one of the Absolutely. coolest things here. Yep, it's, um, it's still on. You can still share. Um, kind of the whole prophetic thing lingered with Joseph after um, the martyrdom. You know, the New York paper, you may have heard this right after the martyrdom wrote, Joseph Smith said, thus ends Mormonism, right? Have you heard that? Thus right. yep. ends Mormonism. Well, um, I, somebody else let's see we'll, we'll full screen this um let me move this here large-scale sentiment joseph smith the mormon prophet is dead thus ends mormon mormonism headline of the new york weekly herald but there was just a spirit of joseph smith the mormon prophet and this picture here is a newspaper article again my friend craig dunce just sent this to me this is a new york tribune july 20th 1844 Okay, so this is less than a month after the martyrdom. In this newspaper, this, this critic was talking about how he had a rough exterior and this and that, but he says, Joseph Smith has carved out for himself a title to a page in the history of, this, of his country, 
and his name will be remembered for good or for evil. And when the names of half the statesmen of the age, when they when the names of half the statesmen of the age will be forgotten. Catch this wording. Joseph Smith has carved out for himself a title to a page in the history of this country. Mm-hmm. And yet the, the large scale sentiment is Mormonism is dead. Right. Well, guess what? In 2015, the Smithsonian Magazine published a list of the most 130 most significant Americans of all time. And number one religious figure is Joseph Smith. And he carved out with this painting here his own page in, the, in history, in American history. Holy cow, yeah. So here's a quote again. Joseph Smith has carved out for himself a title to a page in the history of his country. 2015, number one religious figure in America, Joseph Smith was with his own page here on the, on the right side. Number one. Number one. So, so, Dave, you tell me, did God give Joseph Smith a prophetic gift? Absolutely, he did. Absolutely, and he did. Unfortunately, we don't teach us enough. We don't teach us to our young people. Um, that's really the foundation of who we are and what we do is the restoration. God called a man in our day, restored priesthood keys, brought back scriptures, and gave him the gift of prophecy. This is one of the fruits of the restoration. Absolutely. And I I agree with you that that Mormons of all stripes, I don't care where you're at, I don't think we can put too much emphasis on Joseph Smith's prophetic calling. Um, it's on that work. He is he is the wellspring, he is the the dispensation head. And it it everything we have is Mormons cascades from that font that is joseph smith look uh, as a 13 year old boy when when my dad passes there was a, a minister from a, a, a church a well-meaning man a, i'm sure a good guy he couldn't give me the answers about where my dad went but who could joseph could oh boy and so when from the people, King Follett Fall discourse yes. to the discourse at Seaman Brenton's grave, that you know, about just the whole thing. The answers are here, and this is Jesus Christ's church, and we can't lose sight of that. But a lot of people believe in Jesus, but are clueless to the prophetic calling and the gifts that God gave to mankind in our day, as the scriptures say, to roll that 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 you know the the hand without the or the rock without the hands and the the scriptures are full of the restoration of our day. Right. And that's what makes Mormonism so impactful and so important. And we've got to pull that message there, bring that message out and, and, and bring it out to the world. Yeah, absolutely. As you were so, writing and compiling this book, I, I got a few questions for you. First, okay. you see in, in Joseph, cause you, you said you kind of broke it up by time, right. By era. Do you see, like more uh more prophecies being made the further along he gets in his prophetic ministry yeah i i think so and the reason is i think at the beginning he was so busy um bringing well he 
it, it, again, we, we're talking definition here. At the beginning, he was bringing forth prophecy for right. sure, because, but it was the Book of Mormon. And again, I cast, classify that as the prophecies of Moroni and right. Mormon and Alma. So he's producing hundreds of pages of revealed word. Okay. Right. And then comes the, the, the revelations we find in the Doctrine and Covenants. They right. were printed in the time and seasons and compiled in different arrangements of Book of Commandments and things like that. So these are flowing from the Lord. And then when the foundation of the scriptures and the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible and things like this, are, then I think we see a little bit more free time where he's giving prophecies, especially in the Nauvoo period. I mean, there's one of my favorites, gosh, Dave, I didn't even get to it, was they were settling and again where I study mostly Hancock County history, 1838 to 1846. Mm -hmm. That's really kind of where I spent the last decade of my life. You got to remember that this is on the river. There's the Des Moines Rapids. It's not like it is today. There's a little few houses called Hotchkiss by Nauvoo and a little area called Comrus. And Joseph and Hiram have just been led, let to escape from uh, Liberty and they make it to where the saints are in Quincy and they come up to Hodgkiss and there's a, a Mr. White and this is in the spring of 1839 and he has some land for sale and he wants $500 down and the saints are basically penniless right right uh, and Joseph co comes up and spends the night and he tells the people around and the brethren he says go and tell Mr. White that we will buy his land and we will give him his money down. They looked at him like, what are you, you know, what are you talking about? We don't have any money. He says, just go do it. And he, they go in and make the arrangements. And the next day, Joseph Smith goes over to Mr. White's house, goes inside, they pull up a table and they have a contract and it's $500 down. Mr. White signs it, pushes the paper over to Joseph. Joseph signs it. He pushes the chair back. He puts his head down like he's saying a prayer. And just then a wagon pulls up outside. A man comes, gets steps down, walks up to the door, knocks on the door and says, I'm looking for Joseph Smith. And they said, oh, he's right here. And Joseph says, what can I help you with? And he says, I want to buy some land from you, but I don't have time to look at it today. I have some down payment money. I will come back and talk to you tomorrow. Here's $500. Wow. Joseph turns around and gives it to Mr. White. He later says to his brethren, he says, you put your faith in money. I put my faith in God. Yeah. Hmm. That is recorded history. Joseph Smith had no idea who this guy was, had no idea it was coming, had no idea that $500 was coming. He felt prompted and inspired to sign that document in within seconds within you know tens of seconds the money showed up out of nowhere right five hundred dollars to deal close the deal you know and so and these types of events happen more and more i think i mean they happen throughout joseph's life but i think we have uh, more once the foundation of the gospel was established man he's he's teaching people about temple ordinance of baptisms for the dead um the whole purpose of pre-earth life the post-earth life um in more detail um of course you know it, it really started early but he just added to it i mean my favorite is like at the john johnson home in hiram have you been down there at south of kirtland about yep. 20 miles yep where the visions were given which we called dr kevin at seven 
section 76. How prophetic is that? Right. Now that's in the Doctrine and Covenants, so I don't have it in my book. But you talk about a prophetic gift where he reveals the three degrees of glory and all these different things that are happening. And he sees his brother Alvin, who was not baptized. And in fact, you talked about your dad dying. Yeah. You know the story of Alvin Smith yep. and Palmyra dying in the minister. The church hadn't been restored. The Smiths, the Mormonism was around. The teachings of the doctrines of salvation weren't there. And the ministers asked if Alvin had been baptized. And the Smith family said no. And the minister said, no, I'm sorry, Alvin is not going to go to heaven because he hadn't been baptized. Right. And that destroyed the Smiths. And then in 1833, at the John Johnson farm upstairs in that bedroom, the elders are meeting and sitting written and, and, and Joseph Smith see this vision and he sees Alvin in the social kingdom. Yep. And he says, how could that be? And the doctrines of the work for the dead and all these things are, are brought forth. <laughs> you just don't have an end. You know, a, a, a guy with a three-year education, a farm boy in, in backwoods New York in the early 1820s with no internet, no, you know, they're working 12, 14 hours a day just to eat. He doesn't have all this time to sit around and philosophize and get around people. He's, he, this is just just absolutely remarkable. Yeah. So I hope, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it was no. all along, but it, I think at first it started with the re revelation of the scriptures and the setting up of the church. And then... We have some really cool stuff happening in the Nauvoo period, just yeah. prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that are outside the scriptures and outside the doctrine covenants. As you, as you were writing this and compiling this, what was the thing that 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 kind of shocked you, or maybe something that you weren't prepared to see? Oh gosh, uh, you know, um, I I think just that we what shocked me was that we don't as a people and as 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 believers that god called joseph smith to be a prophet that we don't know more about some of these things this prophecy about the kirtland safety society notes being worth their weight in gold happened in 10 years i've been, been to kirtland probably 10 15 times and never heard that but yet it's right here right um, there's so many things and again this isn't the foundation of anybody's testimony but it's sure. a it, it should be um, uh, reassurance that Joseph had a prophetic gift, that he was called by God. Absolutely. To do his work. Just a reassurance, a, a, another witness, maybe. Well, let me ask you this. What, why is it you think that, that we as Mormons of every stripe don't spend the time to, to illustrate Joseph's prophetic calling like this? Again, as you were saying, it shouldn't be the foundation of your testimony, but it could serve as, as kind of a, a shield, right? What do you think? It's lack of access uh, to the records. Do you do you think? No, we no, that's out there. I mean, Dwayne Crowther's wrote a phenomenal book listing four hundred uh, prophecies. Um, I, I'm we're we're dealing in the realm of speculation here. Um, I, I really don't want to go down that way especially where i okay. you know the position i currently serve in, sure, in my sure, ward sure, and things no. i don't i don't want to be misconstrued okay but i i will tell you that the foundations of of exaltation is is you know not whether joseph had this prophecy or not it's faith in jesus christ and repentance and baptism and things like that and we put a rightful focus on that and I think sometimes just be just kind of off the record here, my personal opinion is that 
we're busy. Right. And a typical Mormon family is large. Yep. And it takes a lot of time and money and effort to raise a family. And we're teaching good gospel principles, you know, principles of faith, repentance, baptism, these things, and following the commandments of God. And it's just so, you know, the serious student probably has heard everything we talked about. Okay, right. this is this shouldn't be new to somebody who is really taking the time to study the gospel, right? Right. But there's a lot of distractions, and and people, some people just frankly don't study as much. And when they do, they're rightfully going to the scriptures first. Okay, reading. We we are told to read the scriptures every day. We're not told to read church history every day or whatever you know what i'm saying right <laughs> so i think the emphasis is rightly on the principles of the gospel but there's some good stuff here and it's yeah. mainstream mormonism so that's just some speculation i don't want to speak for the brethren no. of why the emphasis is there no, I, but, I, but people think... can spend time we have plenty of time to golf we have plenty of time yeah. to play pickleball we have plenty of time to to binge watch TV shows right. and do all this. I, I serve with the state president and, and I know that you're, you know, you're a fundamentalist, but he, he told me one time, he says, if, and he was just talking generally, he says, I feel that if I have time to golf, I have time to go to the temple. Yeah. And you could say that about studying church history, the prophecies or other aspects of the gospel, uh, the restored gospel. Yeah, but we don't. I mean, people go on dates every week with their wives and go to the movies, but they don't have time to do, you know, read some good stuff. I mean, you it's, know, it's... I, I remember I'm I'm kind of I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of a meathead. So I naturally like to read about history. And uh, I, I was in junior high when uh, the first Gulf War happened. Mm. And I remember. I remember it happening, but I didn't have a lot of the context. So I, I, I remember I read a book about this and Norman Schwarzkopf said something that was really profound. And in some, not some ways, in a lot of ways, I think it can um, apply to our, our spiritual lives. When he was asked what the strategy was, he said, well, the first thing we need to do is cut the head of the snake off and then kill the body. And someone said, well, can that, it's a little graphic, but could you expound on that a little bit? And he said, yeah, we want to cut off communications first. If we can cut off communications, we can we can finish off the body. Sometimes I think as Mormons, and, and I've seen it cross-spectrum, doesn't matter you know which branch you're in, so to speak, we're busy just for the reasons you said. We got we typically have larger families, you know, you're you're busting your rear to put food on the table. Um, you know, mom's toting the kids to whatever practice is going on. And none of those things are bad things, but we haven't invested the kind of time that I feel like we need to, to give our kids that extra um, protection and that extra uh, reinforcement against some of the attacks that are coming out now. And with with as busy as we are, I feel like the adversary has done a really good job in not only making sure that we're not receiving that constant mm -hmm. communication we need through both prayer and study, but also he's disguised it in such a way that that it's not bad things, right? It's just things that we get in the way trying to live, quote, a, a uh, life. I, I think it goes uh, in a different direction, too. 
we know in the scriptures uh, in the last days uh, the, the prophecies are that men's heart hearts will fail them. Well, what mm-hmm. does that mean? And we also read in the scriptures that in the last days there will be some who lie in wait to deceive. Yeah, there are people who are making a living, making a fortune off of bashing the church. And many times I have seen things that are historically inaccurate or wrongly portrayed or proof texting or what what we would call things taking out of context, things shaded, things not told properly by the enemies of the church that are shaking people's testimonies that are maybe weak to begin with, attacks on Joseph Smith as we talked about attacks on Brigham Young. Yeah. Did, you know, attacks on our, our mutually shared history. And yep. some are completely dishonest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. No, yeah, that's that, correct. That kind of torques me off personally. It makes me want to write more books and go on more podcasts because, because I, it, when people are lying in wait to deceive, and intentionally saying wrong things on purpose or misquoting or, I or mean, taking I, I, I can go, yeah 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 no i i so can more and that's what we've got to fortify um <laughs> fortify when when i have students in our home for family home meetings or something they're always shown a quick church video or something about the his early history of the church to try to fortify them with with some truth uh, in case they come across some wild claim on the internet. Well, thank you, Dave. Um, I think I've covered everything in my book. Is there anything you, you want to talk about further? I, I don't think, awesome. think you covered it pretty well. I enjoyed you coming on. Um, I tell this to all my guests. Once you've been on once, you got a standing invitation. So if you do write one of those books, let me know. We'll get you back on. All right. I awesome. appreciate it. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Yes. Yeah.